This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Everybody, welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. This is Season 7, Episode 26. I'm John DiCarlo. Joining me at the outset of the show here, uh, Kyle Gauss and Caden Steele. Later on, you're going to be hearing in our, in our interview with Ty Strickland. Uh, you'll hear the voice of, of Sam Cohn as well. Uh, Number 26. Guy? 26, who, when I was like 13 years old, I took a photo of this guy to like great clips and said, give me this haircut. And Caden, I, I see your hair. If you were born 15 years earlier, you would have had the same task. The Kyle Corver episode <laughs> Kyle Corver early 2000s uh Sixers just had like straight bangs I was like let's do this wait wait and, you literally took a picture of Kyle uh-huh. Corver to a great to do this <laughs> I was like I want this and they were like okay and Kyle, <laughs> and Kyle Corver has a lot more like texture to his hair than I did and <laughs> so I, was, I didn't get like the bleach blonde that he had but like I definitely had the like the shaggy bowl which, was this it? Was this in? Was this in Downingtown? This would have been like oh three. So I think I was in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of nodded him. politely and said, "Okay, like, oh, okay." <laughs> and then Kaden, off we went. Caden, have you ever gone to get your hair cut and taken a picture and said, "Like, I, this is what I want to look like"? Maybe not really. I can't remember a time. I've always like never had an exact hairstyle. Like I'll just grow it out long and then I'll cut it. I've never <laughs> really been a person that's been a big fan of haircuts. I'll wait like. No, six to seven months, and then I'll cut my hair, but God. maybe wow. I'll start changing. You and I are, are kindred, kindred spirits on that one, Caden. When I was your age, I definitely went like six months without, six, seven months without getting my haircut. But then eventually I got a haircut, which it might not be this one. Eventually I got a haircut that required, like, you have to get your hair cut more often than that. Otherwise, it just looks strange. So that's, it just fell into a better pattern. Do you but remember yeah. the time that you cut no. your own hair and you were, you didn't want to show us on Zoom and you were like wearing a hat? And you First were- of all, First of all, cut your own hair makes it seem like I'm living out in like the woods and like I don't want to like have anybody track my visa. So I'm cutting my own hair. This was like pandemic. Yes, yeah, and like I, everything I, was everything was cut down. I went to trim my beard. I know what number I get on the sides with clippers at, at like like barbershops. I thought incorrectly it, it uh, that the number on the clippers for my beard was the same as the number for that. Turns out that was millimeters. So I gave myself like a four millimeter buzz like everywhere on my head. <laughs> and then okay, yeah, well, it grew out. Was that two years? Was that two seasons ago? Is that last year? Are you asking me when the pandemic started, John? No, that was, so it was two years ago, right? It was like <laughs> right at the outset of the pandemic. Yeah, I think I did it in like April of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't show up on you had a hat on. We were like, what's going on? You're like, yeah. Yeah, I remember I walked in. My wife was on the Peloton, and I just had like my hair in my hand. She's like, "What did you do?" Yeah, that's great. Good time. If I, if I went six or seven months without getting a haircut, I would look like a total creature. I would not look good. It's a different in lineage. Difference in lineage there. Yeah. You're like an every week haircut guy, aren't you? No, maybe like once a month. But I you used to be an every week guy. No, I was never every week. Maybe like every three weeks, not every week. I. I vividly, re- this is gonna, we're getting real off trail here. I vividly remember you showed me a budget you had once and you had haircuts times, at, it might have said like times 26. It might have been every two weeks, but it was definitely more than every three weeks. No, I think it was, yes. no, it's not every yes. time. 
don't know. <laughs> yeah, why would I just like made up this core memory of me going know. through your budget and being like, wait a minute, it was that, and you're like dry cleaning. I was like, you can dry cleaning that often. That's a budget <laughs> item, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> People are gonna either love or hate this opening. So, uh, yeah. well, here we yeah, are. This goes. So uh, anyway, season seven, episode twenty six. In addition to talking about how often we are haircut, uh, the majority of this episode uh, is going to be uh, talking to Ty Strickland, uh, the uh, American Athletic Conference Player of the Week. Uh, if those of you who are Temple fans know that by now, again, uh, Ty averaged 19 points a game and two big wins. Uh, of course, Temple beat SMU and Cincinnati heading into, again, we're recording this on a Wednesday evening uh, Temple is going to be on the road. Uh, big game at Memphis coming up uh, that can really help them out in the conference standings that they can pull off a big road win there. Um, so Ty had a career high 27 points uh, against SMU, 18 of those points in the final six minutes. And then he uh, made his first career start uh, Sunday against Cincinnati, had 11 in that game. So he's played well as of late. We'll be talking to Ty Strickland. Uh, a lot of good mailbag questions that we got so uh, that we were able to ask Ty. So thank you for those. And then got a decently full football mailbag as well. So some good stuff ahead. So we are going to uh, play this Ty Strickland interview for all of you. It gets into some good stuff here. Again, again, if you're a Temple fan listening to this podcast, you know how shorthanded they have been. Jeremiah Williams is out, but Ty has played well as of late. High Seer Miller has played a lot of minutes as of late and, uh, you know, he's really been able to spell Jeremiah Williams. So we, uh, we asked Ty about just some of the other guys on the team, uh, how he's seen guys like uh, Jaleel White come along. So a lot of good stuff, and a lot of good insight here, along with some other fun stuff. So we will play this interview for you. What we try to do on The Scoop is bring all of you listeners, the most important people in Temple Athletics. Last week, it was Temple football coach Stan Drayton. And this week, we have with us the American Athletic Conference Player of the Week, Ty Strickland. Ty, what's going on? How you doing? I'm doing good. You know, excited going down to Memphis tonight. Get to hopefully get another win. So we're, we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, a lot of you will probably be listening to this on Thursday morning. So Ty just told us he's leaving in a couple hours to, to, to fly down there. So again, unless you missed it, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that, um, that Ty is, again, the conference player of the week came off the bench to score a career-high 27 points in the SMU win and then uh, had 18 of those points in the final six minutes, which was huge. And then he made his first career start uh, at Cincy on Sunday and scored 11 points and grabbed five rebounds in that game. So, Ty, uh, a lot to cover today. Again, thanks for being with us. If you could go back and compare the Ty Strickland that first got to Temple to the Ty Strickland now, what would you say? Uh, I'm a completely different person. Uh, like You know, off the court, on the court, it's 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 actually pretty you know it's it's weird to see kind of some of my habits some of the things I do the way I think completely different from you know when I first stepped on campus here and honestly completely different from last year mm-hmm. so um, you know I've made huge strides and I'm I, you know I always I always say you know if if no one else is proud of you I am so you know that's that's just kind of been my approach. How so? Like how, how are what, what is the biggest difference that you see? Um, for sure, maturity. Um, and not in the sense that, you know, I, I was a kid doing dumb things or anything like that, but more of just understanding the world around me, understanding 
you know, the bigger picture, um, you know, I, I did two internships this summer and I kind of got a glimpse into the real world, the real life and kind of the things that are expected of me, um, as well as what I, I can expect for myself, the way I handle things, the way that I can um, approach different situations. It's, it's night and day. And, you know, I've learned from every single one of my experiences. Ty, this season's had some ups and downs for you, specifically with some crucial performances like Vanderbilt and SMU. And then you missed some time due to injury. You had a couple of games where things just weren't flowing. Coming down the stretch, how would you evaluate how you've done up to this point? Um, I, I think I've done terrific. I mean, you know, I, I, coming into the season, did I know I was going to get as much playing time as I'm getting? Or did I know I'd be as successful as I've been so far this season? Probably not. But I always had the expectation that I'd go out here and I'd have fun. I'd play my hardest. I'm, I'm laying it all out on the line every single night. And that's, you know, that's what I'm most proud about. Uh, Ty, um, prior to starting as Cincinnati, I've done a very solid job you know, of taking on a bench role for a team that's had you know, different lineups due to different combinations due to, and due to some injuries. It might sound like a simple question, but you know, what is your mentality as you know, a point guard when you're coming off the bench and playing you know, those important minutes? Um, just being myself, number one. You know, obviously, coming in off the bench, there's almost an expectation that you, know, you, you got to keep the lead. You know, those guys came off the court. With uh, with a lead, you got to keep the lead. But you know, staying within who I am, you know, branching off sometimes when, you know, like I've said this before, you know, sometimes the pace needs to be pushed. Maybe the pace needs to be pulled back, and just having an understanding of that—that's um, an area of my game that I've grown immensely so far this year. Ty, I know your uh, your brother Terrell was playing well at JMU before his injury. Um, your sister Tanner, same thing at at Plant High School. What's your relationship like with those two? How much do you do the three of you kind of help each other's games? Um, oh, uh, a lot. I mean, my little brother. He started last year as a freshman. He played great as a freshman, and he used to always call me. Ah, you didn't do this as a freshman, and you know, I, I was I was the more um, highly touted out of high school. But he came mm-hmm. in. He came into a great situation and he, he flourished. So he kind of pushed the envelope for me. And, you know, that was a chance for me to respond, get better and work my butt off this summer to you know, kind of catch up to him. But in, in terms of my little sister, she I mean, she's the best athlete in the house. I mean, my dad. Nah, my little, my little <laughs> better than your dad. Oh, yeah. Best athlete in the house. I mean, soccer, basketball. And, you know, I. Don't know how far this is going to get, but she's probably, you know, a better soccer player than a basketball player. But, um, you know, I just – my relationship with them is competitive, but we support each other through and through. Growing up, was there a lot of in-house rivalry with the three of you all playing basketball or playing together, whether it's outside or getting in a gym together? Absolutely. Um, Me and my little brother went at it consistently. You know, uh, I tell – I joke about it all the time. He didn't beat me one-on-one until probably – his junior year in high school. And that was probably one time, two times. So I would always tell, I would always tell him, you got to beat my little sister before you can play me. (laughs) (laughs) So the the rivalry was there. The the competition was there, but you know, at the end of the day, we just love to compete. Ty, you guys hear this all the time, but you are a young team and you're one of the older guys on the team. Everybody gets that, that extra COVID year. But I want to ask you about a few guys, just kind of like a rapid fire thing here. I want you to give me your impressions on the court and off the court of uh, three of your backcourt mates here, starting with with Jeremiah Williams. I know he's I know he's banged up right now, but 
you know, in the time that you've been around him, obviously was playing at a pretty high level before he got hurt. What are your impressions of, of him so far? Uh, he's, he's, he's a dog. Like I, I, I've seen some, I've seen some really good point guards. I've seen, you know, throughout the conference, throughout my experiences, you know, he's, he's one of the better players I've played with uh, in terms of just the energy, the effort, defense, you know, offensively, he, he holds his own. He keeps us in a, in a great place, keeps us on pace. Um, and honestly, he pushed the envelope for me as well. He taught me a, a, a bunch of things that, you know, he was a freshman last year, but you know, I was a junior, but, you know, he, he taught me a lot. What did he teach you? Um, just about being a point guard, keeping pace, you know, being able to be the general of the offense, uh, directing guys, being loud, talking, things like that. Things I didn't really do. I, I was more, you know, I'd pull guys to the side and I'd tell them, you know, right then and there. But, you know, after seeing him, the way he did it and the way we all responded to it, I realized, OK, this is a better way to do it. You know, this is more effective for the whole team. And it, it honestly, it has helped me immensely throughout this year. Obviously, he's been he's been hurt and you guys miss him a lot, but you've learned for several weeks now to play without him. Caleb Battle. Um, I, I, we all kind of enjoy following his, his live tweeting of, of, of games. He's got a, seems like he's got a great personality off the court. What just, I know you guys miss him right now on the court, but could you tell us just obviously he's hell of a shooter, hell of a player, just your impressions of him being around him? Oh, I mean, like you said, he's got a big personality. He lights up the room. You know, he's, he's going to be the center of attention always just because of who he is and, you know, the, the energy he gives off. He's a, he's a high energy guy. He's great to be around. You know, he's funny. He's a, he's a jokester, but you know, a lot of the guys on the team are like that and we all gravitate towards each other because of it. And then high seer Miller again, I mean, you guys, you know, have really between the three of you have now a ton of, of depth at point guard and you've made it work. All of you have contributed. What have you seen from high seer so far? Um, I, honestly, I think, the same about him, about as, as I do Jay Will. Um, you know, he's one of those tough guys. He's a bulldog. And, you know, um, in high school, I always thought of myself as, you know, I'm, I'm picking guys up full court. I want to, you know, put my stamp on the game immediately. He's one of those guys. He's one of those guys that can push the envelope. He can, you know, pressure the opposing point guard. He can pressure him on offense, too. And he's strong. He's he's strong, I got to tell you. And you know, off the court, you know, you guys may see him as quiet. He's shy. He's he's a jokester. He's he's probably mm -hmm. one of the funniest guys on the team. You know, so off the court, you know, we we're we're all we're all just super close, and we have super it's a lot of fun. And in in your position, what is it like being a mentor again? Like the casual fan here is about leadership, uh, you know, mentorship and all that stuff. And it sounds cliche. They sound like buzzwords, but for you guys. The way this roster came together, it's it's pretty cool, and it's come together in a short amount of time. What is it like seeing yourself as a mentor? Like, what is, what does that mean to you? What does that look like off the court? If you had to describe that to people, um, honestly, it feels weird. I, I, you know, it feels like just yesterday I was a freshman at Wisconsin, and mm -hmm. you know, we had a bunch of fifth year seniors, things like that, and I was the guy getting bossed around, telling what to do, and getting shown things. And now the table is turned, and. Honestly, I just remember that experience. I remember, you know, the, the fifth year guys um, at Wisconsin, the seniors there, they helped me, you know, from the moment I stepped on campus to the moment I left there. And that always stuck with me. So when I got here, 
that I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to show my, you know, pay my respects to those who came before me who did it for me. Hi, what is the overall feeling, you know, in the locker room regarding how far the team, you know, has come since last season and how good it can it become next season and, you know, the years beyond? Um, we're confident as ever, uh, you know, especially, you know, as, as, as sad it was to see KB go down, Dame went down for a while, Jay Will went down, you know, guys got to get a chance to step up, got a chance to show what they have. And, you know, the overall sense is we're deep. We, we got some guys that can play, you know, on the bench, two, three, four guys down the line. And, you know, we, we see that we can compete with anybody. We, we, as a guard room, we always say there's no guard room in the country that's better than us. There's no guards as a, as a unit that could beat us night in or night out. Uh, you mentioned at the outset of the show, um, having two internships over this past summer. I don't know if many fans know how smart you're of a person outside of basketball. Could you talk us through some of the other things you have going on for yourself uh, off the court? Um, yeah, so I major in finance and I'm graduating in May. So um, obviously, you know, kind of looking ahead, obviously I want to get a master's, hopefully financial analysis. That'll be, I'll be applying to that, you know, in the coming weeks. But Really, I've always been more of a books guy. In, in elementary school, I used to get kicked out of class because I'd have a book under the desk. I'd be reading while the teacher was instructing. And uh, so I, I've always kept my nose in the books. I always loved that. And that comes from my mom. Like my dad, he always handled sports. He you know, took us to the gym, took us to football practice, soccer practice, anything we needed. But school-wise, my mom had us in the living room, kitchen, all hours of the night do your homework, study. You got to test tomorrow, be in here until a certain amount of time, things like that. And it's always stuck with me. I don't know how much you'd want to speak about this, uh, but once upon a time you were a Wisconsin Badger. Um, I'm not sure if you saw the other day, the Wisconsin Michigan fiasco between Juwan Howard and Wisconsin. Um, what was your, what was your reaction when you saw that? Uh, I mean, my initial reaction was I couldn't really believe that, you know, uh, Coach Howard really slapped uh, Coach Crab, <laughs> and Coach Crab was there when I was there as well. So mm. it was it was it was really weird seeing that, especially you know Juwan Howard played with my dad, so I've I've been around him a, a decent amount of time, and it was just super weird to see that. And then I obviously know still know some guys on the Wisconsin team. I kind of sent them a couple of texts. Like, what happened? What do you say? <laughs> so you know it was. It was kind of it was it was kind of a shock, and it was we, it was during our game, and we came out the locker room, and someone came up to us and said, "Hey, Juwan Howard slapped one of the Wisconsin coaches," and I immediately went to Twitter and I had to see. It. <laughs> uh, you guys again, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. You guys have a this is a as big a game as you guys have had all season. You know we know how talented of a roster Memphis has. They, they've they've been you know just beyond the the parity of conference play. They've been a tough team to to figure out. Uh, they beat Houston earlier this month, and they're coming off a loss to SMU. When you guys have you know prepared for them, looking ahead to you know to tomorrow, what do you guys have to do to beat them? When you look at the roster and how they're playing, um, you know we we believe Memphis is a super talented team, but we believe in our defense. We believe in you know giving ourselves a chance, and that's what we've been stressing. You know, they I, I believe they have about 16 turnovers a game or something like that, but they also get about 20 points off of other turnovers or our turnovers. 
So our whole focus has been giving our giving our defense a chance, not getting pick sixes, which are steals to a layup, things like that, keeping them out of fast break and playing a half court game. Because we believe our defense competes with anyone. We don't care about your offense. We, you know, we want to keep it a half court game. We want to, we really want to defend against them. When you look at Jalen Duran, oh Sam, was that going to be your question? You know, follow. No, up no, you're good. Go ahead. I'll, I'll I mean, like there. you know, obviously, really talented post guy a philly area guy how much does what when you look at them and you look at film how much does he change things for them in terms of what he's able to do uh he's a paint presence i mean he it, this is probably one of the more talented teams we've seen in terms of paint scoring so obviously we have to buckle in on that but he gets a lot of that off of uh driving and throwing it up to the rim he's just you know one of the more athletic bigs in the conference so we just got to keep guys out of the paint and, you know, our rotations won't have to be there. We won't have to rotate off him. He won't be able to get offensive boards, things like that. So that's, that's definitely going to be a stressor and making sure we boxed out, making sure we rebound, don't give them second chances, give our defense a, a shot. Hi, we have plenty of mailbag questions to get to, but just one more I want to ask you. You've been you've been a part of this team. Uh, you're one of the few people that have been with Temple for the entirety of the Aaron McKee era. Um, when he first came in, uh, his his mantra was to get up and down the floor, to push the pace, to play fast. You know, to to have multiple guys on the floor that can handle, that can are comfortable with the ball in their hands. Now it seems like your offense has become a little bit more comfortable slowing the game down, playing in half-court sets, especially with a guy like Jeremiah Williams. Who, and Between you and Jeremiah Williams to be able to run an offense, um, what's been your impression of how the offense has changed and how the play style has changed now three years um, into Aaron? McKee's I think tenure? especially now the game, our offensive game has opened up way more. You know, there's, there's more driving, there's more kicking to uh, three-point shooters, there's more getting to the rim, getting to the free-throw line. You know, I don't, I don't really believe that it's become more of an offensive game. I, I feel like that's just the case because we play such good defense. I mean, guys are getting shots, but, you know, we're holding teams to 30, 33% shooting. You know, it's chances are, you know, it, it won't be up and down all the time just because we play such good defense. The, the clock is going to get ran down. We're going to run down the clock. But um, in terms of the offensive game, I, I believe we do push the pace. We don't really take many early shots just because we want to get to the rim. We want to get fouled. We want to get free throws and things like that. All right, Ty, so we have some some mailbag questions for you from uh, from our alscoop.com subscribers from our message boards. So you're going to hear me recite some some screen names here. The first question comes from the screen name dblaze 75 Question is, Ty, can you talk a little bit about the staff at Temple, for example, how has the coaching staff helped you with your game? And are there any certain coaches that you've really bonded with? Like, has the off-court staff been helpful? Guys like Jason Ivey, Mark Macon, guys like that. Um, so in terms of, you know, guys that have helped me with my game, honestly, it's been all of them. Uh, Coach Ross has pushed me to play defense. You know, I, I when I came in, I was a little hobbled. So, you know, my defense wasn't really there. But, you know, I've, I've kind of pushed myself to be a guy that picks, picks up 94 feet, you know, pressure the offensive guards. And, you know, it's really not about steals anymore. It's really just about keeping my man in front, forcing them into tough shots, things like that. So, you know, Coach Ross has been vital in pushing me to do that. Um, and, you know, Coach Clark, Coach McKee, all those guys, offensively, they just wanted me to slow down. They wanted me to figure things out, find a pace, stay at that pace, play, play at that pace and excel at that pace. So that's been, you know, 
kind of my focus on offense and some of the off-court guys, definitely Coach Macon. Uh, you know, he's, he's one of the funniest guys on the uh, coaching staff. You know, he's super relatable, you know, a guy that's been there before. And, you know, my dad has always talked highly of him. He, told, he, he used to tell me how he stayed up late just to watch uh, Coach Macon and the Temple team, you know, play in the A-10. So, you know, just, just hearing that from my dad, I was immediately gravitating toward uh, Coach Macon. Speaking of the staff, can you give us a medical report on Chris Clark's Achilles? I, I said he was, this happened in practice, right? Yeah, yeah. I think they were, no, it wasn't during practice. They were playing pickoff. Oh, and okay. I, I think he hurt his Achilles, but he's back on the sidelines now. He's got his little scooter. <laughs> he's scooting around practice. I heard about that. I thought if it's not enough that you guys are dealing with the injuries that you are, now you're, uh, the assistant coaches are, are dropping. That's that's tough. Um, yeah. Next question here comes from the screen name FICAPAL3. And the question is, talk a little bit about the game against Vanderbilt when you went toe-to-toe with Scottie Pippen Jr. You had that look in your eyes like no one was going to get between you and a Temple wing. Can you talk a little bit about that game and your mentality in that game and other big game scenarios that you've been in? Um, so that Vanderbilt game, it was, it's, it's funny because I, I did not know I was going to play in that game. Uh, I went down there thinking, we'll give it a try. And then in shoot-around that morning, I didn't really feel very good. Um, you know, I was still hobbling. My leg was swollen. Um, and I was – it really didn't look like I would be able to go. And then before the game, went through warm-ups, and I was like, okay, I think I can do this. And by the time the game started, the adrenaline kicked in, and I didn't even think about it. And just during that game, the only thing I could think of was making up for lost time. I, you know, I had missed probably three or four games before that. And, you know, I just, I just wanted to get a win. Mm-hmm. Ty, the next question here, the screen name is Cecil B. Al. Uh, favorite lunch spot on campus? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, I think that would be either the green truck by the sack. Literally uh, just ate there. Good answer. 20, 20 minutes ago, just ate a shrimp burrito from there. The, I, I eat the fish tacos. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Either that one or depending on the day, the crepe truck. I love the crepe truck. Crepe truck's also very good. Ty, do you remember last time we talked a couple of years ago for this podcast and I asked you what your favorite meal was? You remember what you told me? Yep. I said uh, uh, chicken Alfredo. From where? Oh, where was it from? It's a chain restaurant. Oh, chain restaurant. It has to be either Maggiano's or Olive Garden. Olive Those- Garden. And then I asked you, I said, Ty, so you got it. You're in Philly. You got to check out some other Italian restaurants. I know COVID has been a huge thing. My question to you, just to follow up here, have you had the chance to get into the city to eat some, some other Italian food? Yes, I did. My, I, I had one of your favorites, which was uh, the Grand Cafe. That has become one of my go-tos. Especially. Grand Cafe La yeah, very good. Yes, that's become one of my go-tos. And it's not really even for chicken Alfredo anymore. Mm-hmm. I kind of go down the line and start trying things yeah i like that place a lot and just the other night i ordered um some spaghetti and meatballs from little nana's which has very good choice very good choice here we go it's good stuff i'm glad glad you're getting into the getting into the getting the city that's awesome ty's expanding his horizons a little bit he is a little bit a little bit (laughs) how much like so when you do that do you literally have to report to the staff on what you're eating or do they kind of just let you guys go oh they just well they don't really let us go, but 
my eating habits aren't the best. So <laughs> if it's not, you know, fast food, then they're fine with it. Let it be known. Let it be known that Jimmy Fennery came on this very podcast and said, I know that you guys see our players eating at Chick-fil-A. I just don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Jimmy's yeah. also the blandest. What did he say? His, he's might have the blandest eating habits of anyone I've ever heard yeah. about. Yes. Is that yeah. true? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have I have much better eating habits than them. Yeah, they may not all be healthy, but <laughs> um, next question here. The screen name is North Fraud. This is a good question. You've met all time greats like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. You've played with current pros like Kevin Knox. You've grown up with guys like John Wall and Kyrie Irving through relationships formed with your dad, who obviously was an NBA legend. Uh, who are some of the things you've uh, what are some of the things you've learned from them and uh, are there some things that make more sense now as this season evolves than uh, than maybe it did as an 18-year-old in Madison, Wisconsin? Oh, absolutely. I mean, coming into college, after seeing those guys do it, you know, my immediate, my immediate thought, especially as a freshman, was, you know, that I would, I would see results early. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case. Obviously not the case. But you know, looking back on it now, it wasn't the results that I would see. It was more of the changes I would see in myself. I mean, my dad talks all the time about how Derrick Rose got to Memphis. The first summer they were there, they had a point guard there already. I think his name was Andre Allen. He's probably shorter, probably two, three inches shorter than me. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really that that good, mm-hmm. but he hounded Derrick Rose for an entire summer. And mm-hmm. you know, the coaching staff was like, oh. Oh, <laughs> not good. And then all of a sudden, Derrick Rose started getting it and he started getting it. And, you know, he, he's who he is now. Mm-hmm. So kind of just seeing, you know, the changes in who I've become, my mentality uh, and, you know, all those guys, they're, they're dogs and they, they believe in the utmost about themselves. So, you know, seeing that now and understanding it now, I, I can kind of pick and choose the points that, you know, really can apply to me. Ty, I guess we'd be, just to follow up, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about your dad. I mean, I'm sure you get asked about this a million times, but how often, like, how often do you guys talk on game day? Is it like, is he your first call right after the game or does he kind of just lay back and give you your space? How does that work? Um, So really he just, he just lays back and, you know, lets me have my space. We don't, if I don't call him about basketball, we don't really talk about it much except for whatever he's doing, whatever's going on, you know, around college basketball, NBA, things like that. So, you know, unless I call specifically about myself or, you know, what's going on, then we don't really talk about it. You know, he, he understands that it's been a long journey, you know, it's been rough. And, you know, if, if I don't really want to talk about it, then chances are he he won't bring it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, next question here, next mailbag question comes from the screen name TU 1834 question is how has the chemistry of the team developed since last year through all the roster turnover and how has it impacted the results on the, on the court? Um, honestly, I believe uh, the you know pandemic was a blessing in disguise. Uh, the time we spent with each other last year, you know, it was just us. We only had, you know, each other. There was nobody in the apartment building, really nobody on campus. So it was a great chance to bond with each other. We spent basically 24 hours a day with each other. So whether we liked it or not, we had to, we had to like each other. So, you know, it's, it's transferred on the court just because we, we, you know, it, our relationships with each other go way beyond basketball. And, you know, when we get on the court, we have each other's backs. You know, we, we talk about it all the time. 
you know, if, if anything happens, we know one, two, three, four, five, six, keep going. We're, we're all right there, right behind them. Ty, is there a player on the team? Just to finish off with a couple of questions here. And again, we really, really appreciate your time. Um, is there a player on the team? I mean, we've asked you about a good number of guys on the roster. Is there a guy that we haven't talked about yet who, you know, again, whether it's on the court, off the court, that you really, really feel has grown? Um, I would say grown the most has definitely been Ja. Uh, he uh, off the court and on the court, you know, last year he wasn't playing. So I, I, he was probably a little aloof. He didn't really, you know, feel a part of the team necessarily. And I've been there before. I had to sit out my first year here. So, you know, I understand it and I get it. And this year he's, he's coming to his own, you know, he's, he's, his pace is slowed down. You know, he still makes mistakes, but it's really his first year playing college basketball. And he stepped up in a, in a huge way, defensively, offensively, you know, little things, things like that. His growth has been pretty fun to watch. His final question for you. I mean, I think, you know, when you guys look at your record right now, heading into this Memphis game, sometimes fans on the outside looking in say, okay, they're, they're really starting to turn the corner, but they might be a year away from getting to the tournament. You guys are the ones competing, practicing every day. Are you guys officially in that mindset? Like, no, there's, there's no next year. It's this year. And we we've got a chance to win this conference tournament and get to the big dance. I mean, obviously, yeah, you, you want to do that. That's the goal every year, but is that really starting to be etched into your mind? Like you guys looking around like, yeah, I know we're shorthanded, but we could, we could do this. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we joke around all the time that, our second team can go out and we can win games too. So just imagine what we are healthy. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we truly, truly believe that we are one of those teams that can walk into any gym and compete with anybody and everybody. You know, um, I, I, I was around all those coach Cal coach teams where sometimes in the beginning of the year, they lose a couple of games. Maybe they weren't supposed to, but Coach Cal would always say, it's not about now. It's about January, February, March. And I believe we're, we, have, we have walked into the moment where we take that next step. And, you know, we're a really dangerous team. Ty, it's great stuff, man. I appreciate it. Uh, best of luck to you guys. Have, uh, have a safe trip down to Memphis. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. So big thanks to Ty Strickland for joining us there again, uh, ahead of Temple's big road game against Memphis. Again, uh, you guys are probably listening to this on, you know, Thursday morning, hopefully. Uh, let me ask you guys this question before we head into the football mailbag. Um, how are you feeling about this Memphis game? I mean, it is, do you feel like the conference is up for grabs or do you think them, you know, hopping on the road against a Memphis team that again, has been erratic, but still pretty good. A lot of talent. You think this is a winnable game for them? Or do you think this is a game where, you know, a, a large scoring drought is finally going to really bite them and they're just not going to be able to overcome it? Uh, I think there's two parts of the question you just asked. One, do I think the conference is up for grabs? Yes. Two, do I feel great about Temple's matchup against Memphis? No, not at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you're looking at a team with Imani Bates and Jalen Duran, who two monsters right. down low, bigger guys that are, they just does not match up well with Temple, especially with Jake Forrester out, um, assuming that he's still out, which I have no reason to believe that he's not. Um, so I, I think it's just like a, they match up better with other teams above them than they do against Memphis in this one. I'd be curious. I haven't seen a spread yet. My gut would tell me this is probably like a six and a half to eight and a half underdog situation. 
which granted they were like 12 point dogs against Cincy or whatever it was, but no, I'm not, I'm not feeling super optimistic about Memphis. Caden, what do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of on board with Kyle in the sense that I don't think they have anyone, you know, inside that can match up with a guy like Jalen Duran. You know, Memphis is a team that we've seen this year. They're inconsistent. Like they lost to SMU, but then they beat Houston. What Memphis team shows up? But, you know, ESPN gives them a Memphis an 89% chance to win. I know both teams have the same record, but I just think Memphis will have a little, you know, too much firepower for uh, you know, Temple to win. But, you know, Temple, they have beaten Cincinnati. They have beaten SMU in, a, in back-to-back games. So maybe they pulled off, but I just don't feel good about it as well. Yeah, I don't know what – if you're Aaron here, like do you – do you just try some, I'm not saying he's going to go match up the whole game, but like, do you try to throw some zone against them? Because again, like we know what a Rossman parks is and we know what he isn't. And again, unless we're missing something, Jake Forrester probably isn't going to play. Um, I'd have to think that, you know, as raw as he is and for as little as he's played, maybe you're going to see a little Emmanuel Como in this game. Again, is he as good as the players you're mentioning? No. Um, But I don't know. I don't know what, what you draw up and just do you man them up at first and say, Arashma, you're physical, do your best here. I, I don't know. But that, again, obvious to say, but that's the biggest challenge. But I'll be interested to see how they try to defend him. I mean, yeah, it's defending him, and it's that Jalen Duran essentially takes away your entire ability to score in the paint. Right. Like, he's the, the conference leader in blocks. He's probably in the conversation, well, with Jeremiah Williams would have been prior to his injury for Defensive Player of the Year in the conference. I think the only chance you really have is really just to rely super heavily on these guard lineups that Temple's relied heavily on. And you hope that's a situation like in Cincinnati where you have somebody against Cincinnati with Heisinger Miller comes out of nowhere and hits two threes early uh, that can kind of set the tone. But I'm more worried about their ability to get anything done offensively down low against this team than anybody else. All that being said, they looked like dog shit against, uh, against SMU. So like, you never know. You don't, you don't know what Memphis team's going to show up because they were yep. they looked very bad against SMU. Yeah, yeah, they did. Well, we'll see. But again, a lot of a lot of great insight there from Ty Strickland. So big thanks to Ty for joining us. We do have some football mailbag questions to get to here before we close things out. Um, first one here comes from the screen name C. Coyer, Chris Coyer, uh, from our football message board. Has anyone asked the staff if the team and fans will switch back to the other side for next year? So Again, I continue to be told that it's not necessarily not really necessarily up to the football staff. Uh, we'll see if that changes. The, this decision was made when the Eagles changed the location of Temple's locker room, and that change was made in part so that the two teams wouldn't have to cross each other when they were taking or leaving the field. I don't know if that'll change. I, I, I know a lot of fans didn't like that for a bunch of different reasons, but as I understand it, I don't know that this is necessarily like a Stan Drayton comes in and says, oh, no, we're, we're changing this back. So, yeah, I completely agree. I think that's an above standard situation. That last line's interesting to me, where they did this, they didn't have to cross each other, would take her and leave the field. We've all been in the bowels of the link many times. They still cross each other. It's just they're in a tunnel instead of on the field. Like, they're still, like, after a game, you still see whatever Memphis players leaving the field, interacting with them right by Temple players as they're waiting for x-rays or lockers, all that. So, yeah, that part's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Um, again, I don't know. These are like the, the there's some of the things that the people will harp on and pay attention to. If we get more information on it, certainly pass along. Um, Rock, hey, has anybody asked him about hitting in practice? Ask again. Ask again. 
Uh, Rockland Al has two questions here from the message board. How are North Carolina transfers Lansing Teray and Zach Gill progressing in the recovery from the preseason injuries that each sustained last spring? We do not have detailed injury reports on them. Again, for for a lot of current roster questions, we will know more uh, when spring ball starts uh, soon. Actually, uh, we don't have the exact date just yet, but it's going to start after spring break. So. I guess this is what, Caden, this is a pretty relatively early spring break for Temple, right? First week in yeah. first week of March. So they are going to be starting spring ball not long after they come back from spring break. So it could be picking up in a couple of weeks. Don't have the exact date yet. Uh, we'll know soon. Um, I, I think I mentioned this before. Like I, I do this uh, Believe in Temple football podcast with Adam DeMichael. We had um, Adam Klein on a few weeks ago and we just did like this rapid fire thing with him and I think we said something to the effect of like name a player that you think is going to break out. And he, he mentioned Zach Gill. So, um, so again, both North Carolina transfers, they've been banged up. Uh, we'll know more about them in that first week of spring ball, but uh, I guess Adam seeing enough of, of something, you know, to see that he thinks that, that Zach could make a, make an impact there. But again, I mean, they could, and they use all the help they can get at pretty much pretty much every position as as Stan Drayton looks to rebuild things here. But um, we'll have more information, like you know, especially when you cover spring ball. A lot of it is just like trying to get in as many questions as you can. Who's healthy? Who's not healthy? What what are you seeing? It's just more like trying to be a sponge. So we'll try to get that information for you. Um, second question, real quick. Here. I'm sorry, like there, I neither of their injuries were expected to be like career trending injuries. No. So my, yeah. My, yeah. My Smart expectations enough. for both or for both of them to be full go or relatively full go for the spring. Yeah. I, the only thing I could see, and again, this is literally just speculation again, like Kyle brings up a good point. Neither guy was expected to be out super long-term. I mean, the only thing I could see, and again, we will ask the question when, when we get more uh, spring football access, unless it's a situation where, you know, a new staff, new strength staff says like, Hey, we're going to limit you guys this spring. There's no rush. We want to make sure you're 150% ready heading into preseason camp. Uh, we'll see. Um, second question from Rockwell now, how does the NCA calculate a school's APR academic progress rate now that the transfer portal has caused such a significant roster turnover at Temple and other member institutions? So this has, yeah. been uh, I, I Googled this because I wasn't, <laughs> because I was not aware. Um, no, it turns out in August of 2021, the NCAA in spite of itself actually acted on something, um, and, <laughs> and declared on Wednesday, August 4th, that division one transfer college athletes will earn APR points for their previous team. If they are meeting division one progress towards degree requirements when they change schools. So basically mm-hmm. if you were in good academic standing at the point that you left your school, you're sending school for lack of a better phrase uh would receive apr points i think the threshold is a 2.6 gpa um no sorry previously students had to earn a 2.6 grade point average to earn an automatic adjustment for a loss retention point so basically as long as you're academically eligible you're fine now because it's the wild wild west transfer wherever the hell you want ncaa doesn't want anything to do with it yeah and i and i i don't know if this was the crux of rockland house question and maybe i'm assuming too much here but i you know if you lose if you lose a guy, you're not being, you're not being penalized for it. Like, again, like as long as like, and I don't know if I'm overly simplifying it here. Like if, if you have 12 or 14 guys on your roster who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, you're going to get dinged either way. But if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing in the classroom and they leave, 
uh, you're not going to be in this situation where, oh my gosh, Temple lost 16 or 17 guys in the portal, and now they're going to lose scholarships like they did pre-Al Golden. I think it's, again, I don't know if I'm overly simplifying this, but as long as, I mean, it basically just keeps the onus on the schools to say, keep doing what you're doing. If a kid leaves, he leaves. If he leaves in good academic standing, you should be fine. If he leaves in poor academic standing, you're out of player, but you're, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to be getting dinged either way. So good question. Uh, Next question here from green street out. Although we don't have any players headed to the combine, is there any word on a pro day for temple and who might participate? There is going to be a pro day next month. I do not have, don't have an official list yet. Another thing that will pass along as soon as we have it, but I've been told the temple will have a pro day. Just don't have the exact date just yet. Um, One thing to look out for there is usually with these pro days, it's not always just, the last guys, class, yeah. you get guys, I mean, from a couple of years ago or local guys, yeah. like you'll get guys from Nova and Lafayette. Like you, you would probably would have gotten a guy like Brandon Mack if he hadn't just been drafted by the USFL today. Like that type of player is usually. Let me ask you guys this. I, oh I, I'm going to, no. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I say that and I preface something, oh there's either an eye roll or this look of intrigue. Like, let's see what he does here. Let's no, see this, where is, this goes. No, this is, no, this is pretty inane. Like, I actually, when I was growing up, like I actually liked the Philadelphia Stars, but the whole thing with the USFL is even though they have local franchises, all the games are going to be played in the same place. Are you oh. at all, I know we all have bigger things going on. Are you at all like a little bummed out that, that the Philadelphia Stars are not actually going to be playing in Philly? Aiden, take this. I mean, maybe in a sense it would be cool to go you know, to a game and go to the USFL. Maybe the tickets would be cheaper and there would be an opportunity. I've been thinking about, you know, the bubble in the USFL. I think they're missing out. Like, I don't know how this league is going to work if they don't have a set home. I know the bubble idea is great, but how are they going to draw all this marketing to these cities when they don't even play within the cities? Yeah. But overall, I think there is, you know, something there that, you know, I love football. You know, when the NFL season ends, I'm always looking for something new. And we've seen the XFL. We've seen the AAF. It hasn't worked out. But an opportunity to go see more football games would be great. But yeah, I think I'm slightly bummed out when it comes to because there is, you know, a chance to have a good day to go out there on a Saturday or Sunday during the spring and you know, watch football in warm weather. It wouldn't be terrible. Real quick, color scheme, awful. awful. Terrible. It terrible. Like McDonald's, like, it looks like a McDonald's. But that's like, the that's their original color scheme, though. Well, guess what, John? Lives changed the last 40 years. <laughs> Garbage. Garbage color scheme. So that's awful. In general, with the USFL, uh, you know what I think is eventually going to be not the death of, but like the the ultimate conclusion of uh, national imaging and like likeness NIL is when the NFL says, OK, NCAA, like if you're going to do all this shit and you don't really want governors anymore, why do we have to wait three years to draft these kids? Like if a kid's 18 years old, why does he have to go to, to Temple for three years instead of me just being able to draft him? I think there is eventually still going to be a minor league market for football. Whether that's the USFL or XFL or whatever, a league that has a direct affiliation with the NFL as a feeder league that is governed by things like that, that might be where something like the USFL or the XFL or the AAF or whatever the hell uh, pops up has a chance. Until then, it's just, look, I'm glad that Brandon Mack got drafted. I'm glad he's going to get the opportunity to put some money in his pocket and put film out there. Um, But I just don't see any of these leagues having staying power until something like that happens. In a word? Chaos. 
It's actually not chaos. I want the opposite of chaos. I want a defined structure for these <laughs> feeder systems to feed out to the NFL. I should be able to draft an 18-year-old from Bishop McDevitt. That's a five-star guy. I give him a signing bonus and say, hey, we're not really expecting you on the Eagles for another like two seasons, but we want you to chip away down in Harrisburg for a couple of years and then work your way up. Yeah. See it. You got to get them in a weight room. You got to get them in an off-season program and all that yeah, stuff. They can, they can do that too. They can do that <laughs> in those situations. It's not like college is the only way you can gain weight. Baseball has been doing it for a hundred years. Basketball's starting to do it more. You see the G League as more and more of a viable option now than it was in the past. Could you, football any point, could you at any point see Dante and Caden being like co-general managers of a, a USFL franchise? Dante is just in the his sad weeds where he looks at like this draft class and he's like, Oh, mm-hmm. like, like why, why, why all these teams need quarterbacks and there are no quarterbacks, but yeah, he's still just forced to watch a lot. Well, he's, very, he's very hard on himself too. I feel like a lot of so-called like draft experts don't like to admit when they're wrong. Dante like always admits when he's wrong and, and he's like, you know, very hard on himself. So yeah, uh, it's fair. I mean, self scouts an important part of football, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the last mailbag question we have here, uh, getting this one even earlier than we expected, uh, the old schedule look ahead, uh, from Mike TB 31, looking at the newly released schedule, go game by game and give us your way too early gut feeling with minimal justification. Good way of describing it pre preseason win loss game predictions. So why not Mike TB 31? Glad to oblige. What's that? It's a dope. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. So. Honestly, pretty, uh, you know, pretty manageable. Again, this is going off of just what happened last year. Pretty manageable non-conference schedule. Real quick, I'm keeping track of this because every time we do this every year, at the end we go, I don't know, what was that? Six wins, five wins? I'm keeping track of this. All right, so, you know, uh, again, Sam was with us for the the Ty Strickland interview, not with us for this portion. So Sam's missing out, Javon's missing out, Dante's missing out, but whatever. We still love him. So. Kyle and Kate and I chipping in on this first game of the season, September 2nd, Friday at Duke. Duke was three and nine last season, did not win a single game in the ACC. Off the top of my head, don't know what they have coming back, but I don't know. Is it so far out of line to think that Temple could go down there on a Friday night in the season opener and win at Duke? What are we thinking? Kyle, you go first. Was win that, or loss. Was I, I didn't know if that was going to be your Yeah, your win or loss, Kyle. I did look a little into it. I mean, you're talking a situation where they lose a lot on offense. They're losing uh, Mateo Durant. They're losing Gunnar Holmberg for a bad team. They just lost two of their better players, especially Durant. Durant was a 1,200-yard back in the ACC. Uh, new regime with former almost Temple coach Mike Elko. All for the job. Uh, all for the job. I did some soul-searching. Walked away. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say win. I think Temple wins this game on the road. Caden, what do you think? So this is tough to predict because I think you know this is a winnable game for Temple. You know, going to Duke on a Friday night. I don't think they do it though. I've I just have so many question marks about Temple's roster after last year. There's still a lot of turnover. I know you're bringing all these new recruits in and you got some transfer players in, but like I don't know what to make of this roster. And I've been very impressed by Stan Drayton, but going on the road. Versus an ACC opponent, I don't think they lose by a lot. Maybe by a field goal, maybe by a touchdown. But I think it's a close game. But Duke pulls it out. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go loss as well. I think it's a close loss. I think you see some. I think you see some signs. I think that they somehow faltered down the stretch. 
late penalty, something like that. I, I have it as a loss, but I don't think it's, I don't know. I don't think you're nuts for Kyle as a follow-up. Is Dwan Mathis the starting quarterback in that game? Yeah. Yes. Yes. With I would say I would say yes so as well, but I think that his backup or somebody that's pushing him for that spot is currently not on the roster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh second game, September 2nd, home against those Lafayette, those pesky Lafayette Leopards. Uh Lafayette was three and eight last year. Not a good football team. If Temple's gonna win some games this year, gosh, this better be one of them. Right. Fighting Jimmy Fennerty's, I don't think they'll give up a, uh, much of a yeah. Competition. They haven't played this team in 57 years. 1965 is the last time they played Lafayette. It's a long time ago. Uh, football looks a lot different. I think this is a Delaware State Wagner level blowout. Yeah. Caden? Yeah, kind of on board with Kyle where I see Lafayette, and I don't think you know, they have the athletes or the talent, the coaching, the beat Temple, and I don't think it'll be very close. So, you know, for people that come out to the game, I think it'll be Stan Drayton's you know, first win, and it'll be a, a pretty big one. Yeah. September 17th, home against Rutgers. So we know that Rutgers was 5-8 and eight last season. Obviously routed Temple in the season opener. Win or loss? Loss, but closer than last year. I'm starting to smell a bit of a rotting fish at Rutgers, to be 100% honest. I mean, I understand, like, it's always turnover. Fran Brown leaving to Georgia. They fired their offensive line coach today. I think at a spot following their best season in a decade, I think they're up to 60 or 70% of their coaching staff has left or turned over. Mm-hmm. Um, at a certain point, you it's the this is fine meme where it's like everything's fine. At a certain point, I'm starting to smell a little bit of a rotting fish here, but I think Rutgers uh, wins this game. Caden, what do you think? Yeah, when it comes down to this game, I don't know if you know Temple's roster has gotten you know better enough since in the opening game where they all 61 to 14, where they're gonna come out and beat Rutgers. But like Kyle said, I think it's gonna be a closer game, maybe a 31-21 Rutgers win where Temple keeps it within 10 points. You see some signs, but I don't think they're gonna knock off Shiano. Yeah, I agree. I, I think like following from afar, uh the coaching staff turnover again, it happens with with every staff, but it is a little interesting. Um, again, we'll see, you know, they don't have, I I would be lying if I knew what they had coming in at, at quarterback in terms of anything with, with recruiting, but you're probably looking at Gavin Wimsaw, who's a, a, essentially a true a freshman at this point. He's 18 yeah. years old. Yeah. Unless they roll out there. I think no Vedral might actually still have one more year, but yeah. Um, you know, the offense is completely, it was terrible last year. They completely ripped out that coaching staff. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to say the same thing, a loss, but maybe a closer loss. Uh, September 24th, home against a very bad UMass team. UMass was 111 in 2021. They beat UConn. That was their only win. Again, I, I don't know. Unless you guys know something I don't know about this groundswell town at UMass, I think this is Stan Drayton's Another guy game. who definitely did not get offered the job, but a guy who interviewed for the job, Don Brown. Yeah. Yes, it's very much in the mix the last time around before Manny Diaz, right? Correct. uh, 2018, December. Um, Yeah, you know what? I I should say, you know, I mean, guy's a heck of a coach, but he just doesn't have the elite. I mean, I I think schools are fringe schools like this. I mean, we just talked about it with Rutgers. You talked about it with UConn. You talked about it with UMass. These schools have had some success in their past. When they enter a period of being downtrodden, it's it's easy to call up the high school girlfriend and say, let me have another swing at it. Like <laughs> you, it was, it was successful in the past. Why can't it be successful again? The issue is track record wise. It rarely works out. 
Like that's why like, a lot of people were clamoring for Al Golden to come back. Statistically, it rarely works out. I don't think it's going to work out at UMass again. I think Temple dominates UMass. Yeah, Caden, win or loss in this one? Uh, easy answer. I think it's a win, and I don't think it's going to be very uh, you know, close. All right. So coming out of the non-conference schedule, Kyle has Temple at 3-1, and one, which I think people would be pretty happy with. Caden and I have them at 2-2. Two and two. Now we get into the conference schedule. October 1st at Memphis. Now, you know, Memphis was six and six last year. And that was that was the last time that you saw any sort of fight promise. Like that was the moment last season where you cover the game and you think, oh, all right, maybe they've gotten a lot of bad stuff out of their system. And then no. Then they Temple did not win another game after that. Uh they did. Lose to Temple 34-31 last year. That was Temple's last respectable game of the season. So, um, I don't know. What are we thinking? It's on the road. Katie, why don't you start on this one? I know Temple has had you know Memphis's number at home, and you look at Memphis six and six. I think it's the fair to say you know there was somewhat of a disappointment last season with Ryan Silverfield. They haven't taken that jump they probably expected. You know, and they've lost guys in the past, and they've been explosive in the past on the offense in the past with Kenneth Gainwell and Antonio Gibson. And now next season, you know, they're not going to have Calvin Austin the third anymore as he's leaving for the NFL draft. And Seth Hennigan showed some potential, but like I like I think I just think Temple he's had their number at home, but going away to Memphis, I think it's going to be a little more tough. And I think Memphis, you know, they'll get their revenge this season. I think it'll be another close game, but I think this time it goes to Memphis. Kyle. Uh, yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, I'm not the biggest Ryan Silverfield guy in the world. Uh, I think that's kind of a dud after the recent hires they've had. But, I mean, you're looking at a thing where in the history of this, not rivalry, but matchup, it's whoever the home team is wins this game usually. And it's at Memphis this year. Do you think you got to go all the way back to 2014 or 2013 for the road team to have won a game here? I think it's the same. I think Memphis wins this. That was the last. That was Rule's first year, right? Uh, the next year, Memphis came to Philly and won. That's right. That's so right. it was flipped for those. Yeah, but then gotcha. since then, it's just been back, forth, back, forth, back. Forth. Gotcha. Yeah. And that was the game in 2014 where it was just like 13 to 10 or something where just nobody could score. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's a, a loss because it's on the road, but, you know, maybe you see some encouraging signs. We'll see. Uh, October 13th, uh, 12 days later at UCF down in Orlando. Knights were nine and four last year. Beat Temple again, like most teams did pretty handily, forty nine to seven. What are we thinking? Uh, I'll start. I think winning this game is going to be. I'm not going to say nearly impossible, but we saw last year UCF came in versus Temple, a, a team that was battered and bruised in that secondary. That game they really struggled. But at the same time, UCF, you know, lose Dale and Gabriel, but he wasn't even the starter in that game. He goes to Oklahoma, but Mikey Keene started that game. Probably going to be the returning starter for uh, Gus Malzahn's team. Beat him 49 to 7. I just don't see it being close, especially if they have to go away to Orlando. I don't think this is going to be a close game at all. I don't think they're having the firepower offensively to keep up with UCF. Uh, yeah. I mean, UCF does lose some stuff. Big Cat Bryant graduated. Uh, the Auburn transfer is gone. But yeah, I think offensively, like if you, I think if you got smacked last year, like, like Kane said, and you looked at you said these guys have moved on. That'd be one thing, but they got smacked by a lot of guys that are coming back outside of like Isaiah Bowser. So yeah, I think UCF runs away with this. It is funny now that we're talking about this when you look at like the last time these two teams have met for like every single team this year, it's like lost by 40, lost yeah, by 35, lost, lost, by lost, lost. Yeah, this is where it really, you know, last year the struggle. Yes, yes. Um, October 21st, eight days later, 
Temple comes back. Did home. you give a prediction on that? You said loss, right? No, I said ditto. Loss. Loss. Oh, ditto. Yeah. <laughs> Same. And then the ghost, a line from ghost. Ditto. Ditto. Or yeah. it's, you know, it's just a word. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not a line from a movie if it's one word. It's a word from a movie. <laughs> Have you ever seen Ghost? Yes. The Patrick Swayze. Yes. Uh, straddling her. Yeah, I love you. And and the response is ditto. See, the more the better version of that is Star Wars when Leia tells Han, I love you. And he says, I know. I know. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Which was uh, ad hoc by Harrison Ford. Yeah. Yeah. Harrison Ford, guest on the scoop next week. You hear it here. Ford just freely admits he doesn't like Star Wars. He just realizes he's really good at playing that character and made a lot of money doing it, but he's like, whatever. <laughs> you want to keep casting me? Great. What if we did get Harrison Ford on the scoop next week? What a lovely surprise that would be. What would we ask him about? I would ask him about... Game? I think I'd ask him about Indiana Jones. Why does he keep doing it? Like, <laughs> like you're too old, man. Like, you stop doing these things. Like, you're tarnishing like uh, a stretch of like two or three movies that were really good. Um, Blade Runner, why'd you, why'd you do Blade Runner again? Well, like, just go outside your comfort zone, man. Do other stuff. I think oh, he was Branch Rickey in 42. That's a little out of his comfort zone, I guess. Um, I don't know. What, Air Force One? Get off my plane. Like, he's just playing <laughs> Harrison Ford in different... <laughs> it's Harrison Ford does X, Y, and Z. And I like Harrison Ford, but he just plays himself. That Which, if I was an actor, that's what I'd want. Just like... I'm Tom Cruise doing this. I'm Harrison Ford doing this. Put me in different situations. No, and you have a, do you have a favorite Harrison Ford movie? I mean, not really. I mean, I only know him from really Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Like Kyle said, I can't think of a movie outside of that or a movie franchise where I really recognize Harrison Ford that well. Apocalypse Now. Um, his, his biggest Rotten Tomatoes movie, Apocalypse Now. The Fugitive. Fugitive was good. Star good Wars. in Fugitive, good in uh, Patriot Games. I don't know. Anyway. I don't think I saw Patriot Games. It's good. Good. Interesting. Anyway. All right. <laughs> back to Temple football. Um, again, they come back. They come back on October 21st home against Tulsa. Tulsa was a 7-6 team last year. Another team that routed Temple 44-10 when things were really getting ugly. Um, yeah. What do you think? Wait, where is this one? Is this in Philly? Yes. October 21st, home against Tulsa. Okay. I'm going to say because of that factor, I would think at this point, you know, tell the Temple starting to feel, not feel itself a little bit because I just haven't losing two in a row. But they're more comfortable with, with each other at this point. Um, further on, I think you've started to get an identity at offense. I will say Temple wins this one in the 20s. Yeah. Caden? This is tough because I feel like for me, this is a 50-50 split. And part of me – Thinks I'm going to lean towards Temple because it's at home, but also a team that we saw just two years ago in the American were an up and coming team. I know they kind of took a seat back. They lost Zach Smith, their quarterback. They lost Avon Collins, finished seven and six, but the end of the year by beating SMU, beating Old Dominion in the bowl game, they got some players back. I think Philip Montgomery's done a good job there. I think Tulsa is going to win it, but it's going to be a really close game. And you're going to see, I think you're really going to see the difference in that game from how Temple played versus Tulsa at the end of the season versus how they play them at home. I don't think they lose more than by a touchdown. Look, I think games like this, I think the next week that we just talk about, even the week after that against USF, I think a lot of these like 50, 50, 60, 40 games went terribly against Temple last year, primarily for a lot of reasons, but because their offensive line was so bad. Mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways and i have a 
a fair amount of faith in Chris Wiesahan at this point. Yes. Uh, it being very good at his job and being able to get this offensive line up to at least a, like a more respectable level that I think these 50, 50, 60, 40 games Temple's going to take two or two or three of those. That they had no chance of taking last year. Yeah. You stole, you, I hate to say stole my thunder, the, the talk radio line, but that's what I was going to say. I, I think this is either the Darvon Hubbard or Ed Sadie game where Chris Wiesahan finds at this point like five guys that are working for him uh again or is that line going to be a finished product no if, if you you know um heard stan drayton signing day press conference where i said hey you prioritize linebacker does that mean you're a little bit happier with the offensive line he's like yeah you might be reading a little too much into that i think chris can get as kyle said get this line playing well enough now they have nowhere to go but up from from last year but i think this is a game where Again, way too far out with minimal justification, as, as Mike TB31 said. I think this is a game at home where a running back breaks out, whether it's Hubbard, whether it's, I mean, we've seen a little bit of Sadie where uh, they get some stuff done on uh, on on the ground here. I'm going to go with a with a win there. Um, and you said loss or win? You said loss? You said loss, right? Yeah, I lost. Um, October 29th. At Navy, Navy was four and eight last year. Like a lot of other teams, they beat Temple pretty handily, thirty-eight to fourteen. That was the season finale, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, down in Annapolis, triple option. We know the deal. Unless uh, just once, I'd like to see Navy say like, "We've uh, we've changed air our philosophy. Raid. We're going air raid. We're going five wide. We've got three transfer quarterbacks." we're just going to ask our offensive linemen to just, you know, pass block 90% of the time and everybody goes, Whoa, but uh, alas, I'm going to say this. And I, I might end up having egg on my face because last time I thought this, uh, they went and won like 11 games next year. I think this might be Ken Nia, Nia, Nia Matololo's uh, last season in Annapolis. I, I think they're just, whether you want to blame that on COVID or just the system starting to no longer work in, in an actual conference setting, as opposed to being independent, everybody's seen this offense 15 years in a row at this point. I think Temple beats Navy, and I think Navy is looking to try to pry away somebody from Georgia Southern or Army next year. Because according to Al Golden, uh, it's a great gig. You don't have to throw the ball. You just sit in the bay and watch the boats. I love, yeah. I've said this a million times. I love Annapolis, but yep. got engaged there. I did. I did get engaged there. I've, yeah, I've spent, I've spent some great nights in Annapolis and, Ken will no longer be uh, be there. I think this time next year. And what do you think? Are you gonna douse some? Are you gonna douse this with water again? I think Temple's gonna pull this off. You know, two straight losses to Tulsa, twenty twenty, and we all remember the Nelson Smith game, and they couldn't stop him. And then last year, this team, the season finale, there was nothing left. And gotta say, the triple option is probably one of the most boring offenses to watch, at least covering or just sitting there watching it, but. It's surely been effective versus Temple, but you know I think DJ Elliott uh, will do enough where they stop the run in this game. Maybe they don't blow out Navy, but I think they win this you know game going on the road, getting an important win you know in the AAC in Annapolis. And like uh, I said, I don't think Navy is going to be very good next year. Yeah, Dante could break this down better than I could, but my gut tells me that the defense that DJ Elliott's going to run matches up better with the triple option than um, some more conventional four threes. Yeah. I mean, as long as they um, don't get gutted and worn down by like the the dive here, dive there, all that stuff. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, I, I think it's a win. 
looking, looking way out from this point. I could see that, you know, if they have some success on the ground the week prior, if I'm sticking with my thought process on this and they think, okay, we have the five or six or seven guys that we need on the offensive line. Maybe they, they continue to run the ball a little bit more, try to get their defense some rest again. Navy, I, I do agree. You know, it's, it's fun to see both of those teams doing well, Navy and army, but I think that Ken could be near the end of his career down there. So I'll, I'll put this one at a win as well. November 5th, home against those USF Bulls. They were 2-10 and 10 last year, but guess what? They beat Temple for their only conference win. So uh, what are we thinking? I'm looking at my game-by-game game prediction at this point, and I don't agree with what I'm doing. This is, yeah, this is what happens, this is what happens like, all the time. You're like, are they winning a national championship? Like, like I'm just about to say, like, okay, they're going to win this game, and they're going to be 6-3, and three, and I don't think that's going to happen. Currently, <laughs> you currently have them. Yeah, you're, they're going to be 6-3 yeah. and three after they're about, to be bowl, they're about to be bowl eligible in, in Kyle's world, and no part of me thinks that's going to happen that early on. I think best-case scenario for Temple is that they're going into that last week game against ECU with if they win, they, they get bowl eligible. But they're not. But, Go with but, it. Trust we're living in we're living week by week we're in the silo i got my blinders on i don't care about the future i don't care about the past in this week temple beats usf relatively handily and there's six usf, and three. USF as an athletic department is a cluster right now they are terrible in both sports i know they just beat temple in basketball like two weeks ago they're terrible in both sports and they just extended both coaches mm-hmm. like makes no sense to me i think temple smacks usf in this and they're six and three at this point. Six and three. You're like, oh my God, Stan Drayton. Do we have to, does Temple have to worry about him going to be the coach of some other school right now because he's six and three? Six Don't and believe three, it, but here we are. Six and three, three and two in the conference. Uh, I don't know, yeah, they're looking pretty good in Stan Drayton's first year. Caden, what do you think? I think Temple wins this game. And then after here last season. We you know, they lost the Cincinnati 52 to three in my head. I was like, uh, USF, that's an easy win. They go down to South Florida, they rejuvenate in Tampa, but that game, the way they couldn't stop the run, it was, it was brutal. But I think Temple, you know, I think the players on this team have a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth. They realized that was kind of the fork. They put the fork in that game. I think after that game was all the morale was lost, but I think they get their revenge and uh, I think they pull it off and I think they went pretty good because like Kyle mentioned, USF is, a program in athletics that is mightily struggling besides women's basketball who are outstanding. It's just one of those things when you close your eyes and I know that they just lost this year, like handily it's when you close your eyes, like I just don't see Temple losing to South Florida. But- yeah. So they're Kyle at this point with three games left, Kyle has them at six and three, Kate and I have them at five and four. So for all this, Can talk I fade of, like, myself? Like, can I go to Vegas and say, hey, I just went on a podcast with a like a small following and I predicted this record. What are the odds you're going to give me to fade myself? Like, I want to bet against what February 2022 Kyle thinks. Let us know how that goes. That's, we'll see. We'll I'll, see. Call up, uh, I'll call up Mr. Caesar. <laughs> Is this the Caesar? Um, November 12th at Houston. Here's where the optimism, I would think, ends. Uh Cougars were 12 and two last year. Again, stop me if you heard this before. Routed Temple 37 to eight. Now, again, that was a game where they were kind of slogging along for a little bit, but again, uh, things eventually separated there. Kyle? If you had asked me, I wouldn't have thought uh, Houston went 12 and two last year. Like mm-hmm. my gut would have told me that they, like 12 is a 12. I know number wise, it's only two more. 12 is a lot more than 10. Like being a 12 win team is like a very yeah. significant thing. I yeah, wouldn't have they, thought they were. I know what you mean. Like they had their moments last year where they're like, eh, but 
Yeah, but good for them. Like Dana might have finally figured out some things down there. They hired him because they wanted to get into the Big 12. You go into the Big 12, you got a Big 12 coach. You beat Auburn. Good for you. Uh, I think you're going to beat the crap out of Temple. And Houston wins this and, and grinds to a halt Stan Drayton's three-game win streak. Yeah. Caden? Yeah, as good as I think, you know, Stan can do, and, you know, obviously in his first season and get this program back on track, going against a team that finished in the, you know, AP Top 25 last year, a team that – Beat Temple at home. Was it 37 to 8? Or was it, it was yep, a weird 37 to 8, yeah. And a team that returns Clayton Toon with Daniel Holgerson going to the Big 12. They still have something to prove. They still want to keep it up. I don't think Temple has any realistic chance of winning this game. And I know Houston's losing some pieces. Logan Hall, you know, first team all AAC selection going to the NFL draft. So they have some players they lost, but not enough for Temple to really compete in this game. If they show any signs of encouragement, maybe it's a 14-point loss. I think in that cell, within itself, that's a win. Yeah. Uh, I was I, only done 10 and a half last year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they, if they win this game, which I don't think they will, that's a heck of a statement with three weeks left in the season. But yeah, it'd be really impressive if they went on the road down there, but I don't see it. Don't see it happening. Have this one as a loss too. So November 19th home against Cincinnati. Yes. Since he's going to be losing Desmond Ritter, but this game might have outs written all over it again, obviously, you know how good the Bearcats were this year, 13-1. They beat Temple 52-3, to just completely outclassed them. Special teams had been serviceable for the, the few weeks before that, and then they came apart at the seams again. So, um, yeah, they're losing pieces on both sides of the ball, but Luke Fickle's got that thing going pretty well. Would be a hell of an upset win, again, unless since he loses half of its roster to injury or food poisoning that week. Um I don't know, but I, you know what? I don't want to get in the way. Maybe you guys see this as a win. Cincinnati losing a four-year starter quarterback, losing two first-round picks at cornerback. Yeah, um, I like where this has, is going. At this point, you know what are they planning for? They're already looking ahead to the Big Twelve and national championship hopes. I would imagine are already squashed at this point. I don't think they're going to be ten and zero or anything like that. Uh, I think they beat Temple by thirty-five points. <laughs> like <laughs> you knew what you were doing, you knew what you were doing there the whole time. Like I'm, I'm glad I don't have to cover any more Desmond Ritter games because, like, like I said, I've never really seen it. Good for him that he made took the college football playoffs. I don't see him at the next level um, having that level of success. But no, I think Temple gets outclassed here. What's your favorite it, it, Sauce Gardner? One of your more favorite nicknames of the past few years? Or am I putting words in your mouth there? Uh, no, I like it. I like Sauce Gardner. Um, do I have a like a really good nickname that I like though? I don't know. Uh, Sauce Gardner is probably up there, at least from a football standpoint. I mean, Big Cat Bryant's a great name because it's cat with a K. Big Cat Gr- yeah. Bryant, like great. Kane, did you as have a society? A- as a society, John, we got- we've gotten we've gotten further away from good nicknames. Think yeah. back to like good nicknames: the Sultan of SWAT. Mr. October. Mm-hmm. Great nicknames. Now you have generational guys come through. Alex Rodriguez, so what can we call him? A-Rod. Yeah. Jimmy Rollins, J-Roll. Like, mm-hmm. it's just annoying. It's just first initial, cut off a couple letters in the back, and we need to get better at nicknames. Caden, you played football and lacrosse in high school. Am I missing anything? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's mainly what I played. <laughs> so wait, what, 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 did you have a nickname? No, I've never been given a nickname earned a nickname i've never uh been had one maybe when i was like younger but i cannot remember one person just putting a label on me and having that you know tag not even after like with the, the last name of steel you never had a nickname not that anyone like called me by like a steel curtain 
People yes. might like joke about it, but like I've never been consistently gone by a nickname. I would love to. I mean, that would be a great thing if you know I could we get do. A man we're gonna, of steel. We're gonna yeah. bestow Caden with a with a with a crafty nickname between now and, and uh football season. See what we steel come up reserve. Yeah, <laughs> yes. All right, but we so we got this is uh you guys have it as a win, right? Yes, they, a, a, win, a win in the sense that it is mercifully over. <laughs> all right, so all three of us have that as a loss. And then the season finale, home against those ECU Pirates. ECU goes 7-5 and five this year, also routed Temple. Another ugly, ugly, ugly game, 45-3 to three down there in beautiful Greenville. What are we thinking here? I think this one's going to be – you know, a tough game because ECU is an ascending program. They played really well last year. You saw in that game versus, you know, you know Temple, and ECU, Temple and ECU last year that Temple really struggled. And, I mean, if I was a betting man, it would be hard to bet against ECU in the way they're playing. But I, I think this is the one win at the end of the year where I think I have Temple missing a bowl game and going five and seven. But I think this is the game they finish off the season strong after losing to Houston, Cincinnati, you know, in really tough games where I think they're going to be beaten up and it's going to be a real struggle. But I think they come to ECU when this is like their biggest game of the year. This is a program I think is closer to their level than the Cincinnati's, the, the Houston's, or the SMU's of the world. And this is a game that they can win. And I think after going through everything that they go through next season, I think they pull this off and they beat ECU. To become bowl eligible at six and six. Did I have them at six and six? One, two, three, four. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. One, two, one, two, three, four. No, sorry. You have them at five and seven. Five and seven. Five Pretty and cool. seven. I'm going to put them. Kyle, you go ahead. No, you can go. That's fine. I think they win this game. This is a, this is a rallying point, end of the season. Hey, we've got some holes to fill. We know what gaps we need to fill for the future, but we're – we're starting to see things moving in the right direction and they want to, I'm just double checking my math here. One, two, three, four, five temple wins this game against DCU and they finish the season at six and six and they are bowl eligible and everybody is sort of happy again and says, this is about what I could have hoped to expect in, in year one. Understand right. Kyle. I would have agreed with you if Holton Allers, 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 Allers had uh, hadn't uh, decided to come back for his fifth season. So now you got a five-year starter at quarterback against the team. Mike Houston's a hell of a coach, mm-hmm. uh, but it looks like they finally have things. They look like they're finally on the path to be what they were supposed to be when they joined the American. Like when they joined the American, they were supposed to be this like Houston level, Cincy level team. They had had success in the Conference USA, like. Here we go. And instead, they've been a disappointment there pretty much ever since that first year when they came to the Lincoln Lost Temple. I think they're on the right path. I don't think Mike Houston's there that much longer, but um, I will say that East Carolina beats Temple. But then Temple kind of skids its way into a six and six in my book. Yeah. So you have them at six and six. I have them at six and six. Caden, the party pooper here, has them at five and seven. Gun to your head right now. If you didn't go game by game, do you think they go six and six? No, this is what, yeah. happens. This is what <laughs> yeah. happens all the time. It's like you, 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 you do this and you're like, that's not what I meant. You know what no. I mean? That's the vibe that you have. Like I, like I think they go five and seven and like at least more respectable in some of these fringe games. Then you're like, okay, well, at least they're on the right path. They're breaking in a new offense, new defense go from there. Like, I think that would be a successful season. Um, yeah. If they, if they somehow go six and six to stand drains first year, then all the props to them. 
Caden, I feel like the way you, you like flesh things out here and rationalize things, I feel like you feel good at like, if to add, like, if Kyle asked you that question, gun to your head, do they go five and seven? I feel like you feel good. Like your rocks all at like, yes, I think they're five and seven. Yeah. I think they're about five and seven. The only game, maybe the Navy game goes 50, 50 again, but I think they'll at least get four. I think that's kind of the lowest I can see on the schedule. Cause I think the Lafayette game, the UMass wins are like easy. And I think they'll at least get two more and I can see him getting a third. So five and seven. No, I feel pretty good with. I don't see them getting to a bowl game just because it's hard for me to believe. First year, new head coach, new scheme, bunch of new players, a lot of you know leftover players. You know, hasn't you know Stingery hasn't really implemented you know all of his new recruiting classes. I just have a hard time seeing them be super successful. But I think we'll see a lot more fight you know in this Temple team this year. Let me let me give us another question to close this out. Wait, obviously another category of way too early minimal justification question best player on offense next year best player on defense Caden you go ahead take this one first I think I guess I'll start you know best player on defense I think it's going to be Keyshawn Paul coming back you know for a second season as the starter I think he played really well last year you know in his time on the outside I think he didn't really get beat off and he's not a guy you looked at on that temple defense you're like he He's probably one of the strength points. Him or Cameron Ruiz, those guys were outstanding on the outside. So if I had to bet, I'd go Keyshawn Paul because I think he's a slightly better player than Cameron Ruiz. And then offense is kind of tough. After last year, there wasn't much hope. You know, Jaden Blue's leaving. I uh, went to Virginia Tech, which is a great opportunity for Jaden. So it's kind of hard to pick, you know, the one guy on offense that who's going to really go out there and be the star. But I'm going to take a bold prediction. I'll say Ahmad Anderson Jr. Hmm. I think he'll take on a bigger role in the offense. He's got a lot of speed. I have questions on whether he's a good route runner. I don't know enough to say he's going to be a guy who's a high volume target, but he's got enough speed in this offense. We'll see if they take some deep shots and, you know, maybe he becomes a guy, you know, makes a big play every once in a while, but takes this temple offense, maybe to a better level than they were last year and takes the top off the defenses and creates a little more, you know, explosiveness. Kyle, what do you think? I'll, I'll, I'll... If I'd gone first, so yeah, I probably would say Keyshawn Paul. I agree with that. Uh, on defense, I'm just to be different. I'm going to say it's going to be. I'm going to say Alex Odom. I, I don't know why I'm thinking that. I just think that there's an opportunity, there's competition at that safety position. Alex Odom has held it off for a year and a half now. I think he's finally getting going to get to the point where he takes that next step. Because even though he's just a sophomore, it's going to be his third season as like a, a fringe starter. Offensively, I'm gonna go with a non-sexy answer. I think Adam Klein coming back is a is a bigger addition than than you might think. Because mm-hmm. if you're a contrarian or a pessimist, you would say, "Well, I mean, he was on this team last year and they weren't that great." I think he's finally gonna be able to fit in somewhere. I don't know if that's at tackle or if that's interior. Is he your starting center? I I really don't know. He could play any of those five positions except probably left tackle because you assume Isaac Moore probably has that locked down. I think he's going to earn one of those four stakes on the table. And uh, take it from there. Yeah, I, I, I was going to go with Klein on offense. I think he really, really benefits from the return of Chris, Chris Wiesahan. Ends up at the end of the year saying, you know what? I was able to stay healthy, benefited from better coaching, play with better pad level. And he's a guy that anchors that line. On defense, again, just a useless late February gut feeling. I'm kind of going back and forth between either on defense, maybe like either like a Jordan McGee or maybe like, like a Deshaun Winston. I could see for whatever reason, maybe next year, they're like, you know what? Previous staff was really excited about him, got hurt, stayed healthy, made a lot of plays. I feel like it's going to be 
something like that. Now, I, I think Keyshawn Paul will have a, he has the ability to have a nice year, as does Cameron Ruiz. Um, I don't know. Just a just a useless gut feeling at this point, but that's what we're doing. End of the day, I mean, Brian Carey did a lot of things wrong. I think they did they hit on their two cornerback transfers uh, from last year with with Keyshawn Paul and Cameron Ruiz. I think we're stabilizing forces on that defense. That would have been a lot worse if they had left this year or if they didn't come last year. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Kyle has them at six and six. I have them at six and six. Caden has them February 2022. Kyle has them at six and six. May 2022. Kyle's going to have them at like four and eight. And then probably by like August, I'll start like hearing things. I'm like, oh, maybe they do have a chance here. Maybe Darvon Hubbard is like a, a 1200 yard back. And then I'll convince myself one way or the other. And then we'll figure it out. I'm also going to have, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, I'm going to have the male equivalent of pregnancy brain in August and September. Because uh, my wife's expecting their child in the fall, in August. So I'm going to be so like out of it that I'm going to convince myself 12 and 0. March down Broad Street. Steve Conner. Oh, no, oh, no, they don't make the conference championship somehow. <laughs> <laughs> a, a controversy comes out. They're bowl ineligible and they don't make the conference championship. They just end 12 and 0. They still raise a banner in the link and they declare themselves national champions. Looking at a, a world of possibilities here. Anyway, it doesn't was- matter because Caden and I, you're probably a little too old. Caden and I are going to be drafted to the front lines of Ukraine soon anyway. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Football's insignificant. We're going to war, boys. <laughs> Aren't you too old to be drafted? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Eminem once famously rapped, I'm 28. Are uh, they going to take you before they take me? And I'm 32. So, like, they're definitely going to take <laughs> take Kaden before they take me. But you never know. Well, hopefully. The, I'll be hopefully I'll be a line cook. I'll be serving up macaroni and cheese for my hungry army boys. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, boys. Who's <laughs> the second serving? <laughs> well, I hope not. <laughs> If, uh, if that's the case, we'll have a really interesting podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm still like calling. I'm like, it's 3 a.m. local time, guys. <laughs> Surprisingly great reception here. <laughs> 5G's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, big thank you to Ty Strickland for joining us this week. And uh, thank you for the mailbag questions. We had fun with this episode. We will see you guys soon. Peace.